Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential takes you behind the scenes to look inside the drama, the decisions, and the choices that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linta, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Kip Knight. Kip and I started together at Procter in Brand Management a little longer ago than I would care to admit. And since then, he's had a number of high-level roles, including Chief Marketing Officer at Taco Bell, President of H&R Block's retail business, and he's the founder of CMO Coaches, which he currently oversees. He's also published two books, having penned Learn to Leap and Crafting Persuasion. Welcome, Kip. Hey, Mike, great to see you. So today's topic, Kip, is one of our favorites. Why the short shelf life of CMOs? And this is really about how can the CMO better connect with the chief financial officer and their CEO? And here's really the setup. CMO fastest turning job in the executive suite by far, and one of the challenges is the need to deliver today's results by setting up tomorrow's future. There's often a gap between how people view long-term marketing investments and the pressure to produce short-term results. And this can create a pretty big credibility gap for the CMO. This is especially true when the CEO and the CFO don't believe in long-term efforts like brand building. Kip, you've been studying this dynamic, I know, a lot and looked at a lot of research. What's the driving force behind it, and is it getting better or is it getting worse? Mike, um, you know, a running joke among a lot of CMOs that I talk to is that, you know, uh, the CMO role is the one uh, role that everybody else in the C-suite thinks they could do better than the actual CMO. And um, that's got a little bit of truth to it because if you think about the background of most CMOs, it, it's purely in a marketing role and they are um, trying to relate to people that come from very different backgrounds. I think one of the primary challenges you have is the odds are your CEO is going to be either a former CFO or a chief operating officer. The only the odds are one out of 10 are going to be from a marketing background. So coming out of the gate, you know, marketers are from Mars and the CEOs are from Venus. I mean, you just don't have a lot of common background. You don't have a lot of the same terminology. Um, and, and the real shame of it all is that marketers are supposed to be really good at understanding target audiences. Uh, but we seem to be pretty lousy at understanding how CEOs and CFOs think and feel and act. And it's going to be up to us to, to bridge that gap to be able to really connect and relate. Um, a little bit later on in the conversation, I can share some survey results among CEOs in the Fortune uh, 150. And, and let's just say if this was a performance review, we would not be doing well. We'd be very, very concerned, which is why. Uh, on average, a CMO uh, lasts about 18 months in the role. And um, that's I horrible. Think that is that horrible. It's a, strong it's a strong indictment against how we're doing. The other piece of this to keep in mind is that your average CFO lasts about five years, as opposed to a year and a half for a CMO. CEOs last about uh, seven years. 
So your average CEO is going to go through two and a half CMOs by the time they, they leave office, which is not you can, good. You can do a buy one, get one free kind of promotion. Absolutely. Nice you ought to just stack them up on the runway like next. Okay. <laughs> so so I, I think you're making a couple comments here that are, are super important, which is one, everyone thinks they can do marketing, which you know, it is, it is the most public of functions. And two, it's the easiest thing to change. And sure. a lot of companies will will pick on this. So, so. Oh, and by the way, it's the easiest function to blame when things aren't going well, because I've yet to see any other C-level officer step up and say, you know what, it's my fault, you should fire me. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, I, you know, in one of our uh, other podcasts, we were talking about how people kind of expect marketing to overcome sometimes problems with the product, bad pricing or bad, bad positioning in the marketplace. And, you know, that's, that's really hard to do in today's world where the consumer experience pretty much trumps everything. Like you can advertise or talk to consumers all you want, but the experience is really a big deal. And if the product doesn't deliver, there's no marketing that can cover that up. Um, but, but Kip, you were, you were mentioning some of the math that you had off the survey about CEOs and CFOs and how they see the CMO job, which I think is super eye-opening. Can you share some of that with our listeners? Sure. Um, so this is a survey done last year with an agency called Boathouse uh, up in the Northeast. They surveyed 150 uh, Fortune, you know, um, 500 CEOs to, you know, basically say, look, how, how do you feel about your CMOs? And 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 some of the results are are really depressing. Um, some of them are <laughs> some of them are not as depressing as others, but some of these are just downright awful. So about half of the CEOs agreed that the CMO primary role is to grow the business versus developing the brand or shaping the strategy or consumer insights. And, and that to me is almost like a throwaway question. I would hope that 100% of the CEOs agree that their CMO should should be a growth driver. Yeah, if you're not going to grow the business, what's the point of it? Yeah, exactly. Why are you yeah. there? Uh, and then 86% of them believe that they had the power to influence, you know, the direction of the company. Again, my question is, why wouldn't that be 100%? That's, yeah. But then it really gets uh, it really gets ugly. 63% uh, of CEOs <laughs> believe that uh, their CMO is performance-minded. Holy cow, where's the other 37%? And then only a third of them had... Wait, don't gloss over this because it says yeah. one-third of CEOs believe their CMO is not thinking about performance. business performance. performance. Yeah, yeah. Which, which again, you, you got a question, you know, why are they, well, you can see why the turnover is so rapid, because if you believe that, that's that's a prelude to saying, then let's try somebody else. Yeah. Um, only a third of them have great confidence in, in their CMO, and only a third of them trust them. Holy cow. You know, if you're working with somebody and they don't trust you, <laughs> You know this marriage. You know this is a problem. A third. Uh, that's that's a third. That's that's really a bad number. Yeah, eighty percent. I'm going to go to the dentist for an uplift after after this talk, Kip. Eighty percent of eighty percent of CEOs believe CMOs turnover is because the CMOs are failing. So it's not it's not the CEO problem. It's the CMOs problem. Seventy uh, percent of them think the CMO would save their own ass before taking a bullet uh, for the CEO. Holy cow! You know that, that's another indication of a lack of trust. 56% uh, per, uh, believe the CMO is more committed to themselves rather than the board or the CEO. And only half of them believe the CMO supports their long-term vision. And, and the final one I'll throw out there, 58% believe the CMO speaks marketing speak, not 
the language of business. So, uh, Your Honor, the you know the prosecution rests. <laughs> well, I say, like I said earlier, I'm going to the dentist after this to get a pep me up. Yeah, um, yeah. I I do think this is a super important point, which is you don't want to be speaking marketing to a company that is living financially. Right. And it, it, your job is to translate that. And I also think the other thing that that we talk about is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket by saying I'm going to fix marketing's going to fix everything. I'm going to fire the agency and get a new one or I'm going to do this right. cool like new campaign and that will fix everything. You want to be in the business and talk about the business um, or you're going to actually make make that short end of the tenure. So so Kip. Talk a little more about what people should do in this job to succeed. Like your CMO, you're looking at all these great numbers that you put up that just says nobody likes you, nobody trusts you, they don't think you're performance based. You yeah. know, it's like a great job description. Uh, right. Fix the company. What what should people do? Well, I'd break it down to a couple of phases. The, the, let's talk about the before phase. That is before you take the job. Um, you need to have a heart to heart with the CEO as to what exactly is the role, um, because it'll vary dramatically. Um, you know, one, one thing, and, and uh, if you think about the CFO as a, as a contrast, you know, the CFO goes through what I call stations of the cross. It doesn't matter what company you're in, what category you're in, a big company, small company, they're going to go through accounting and audit and treasury and compliance yeah. and, you know, forecasting and planning yeah yeah audit. it's going to yeah. be the same drill you know no matter what think about the the typical path of a cmo good god i mean uh it, it's almost like you know choose your own adventure uh it, it could be any number of paths and so before you're going to sit down and, and become a partner with the ceo and alignment from day one on, okay, so what do you expect? What am I responsible for? What do I actually have in terms of authority? And Mike, you've talked about this a lot during our CMO boot camps. I mean, if you don't clarify and enforce the, the role of marketing, especially your role as CMO from the get-go, uh, you're, you're gonna be tripping coming out of the gate and your odds of survival are not good. So I, I would just pause there and then just get your reflections on what would you, and you've had a number of really important CMO roles. What conversations did you have before you signed on the dotted line? Uh, I, I think there's two things I would I would point out that are, are at least super important to me is, one, we agree on the expectations and the timing of that delivery. And that is usually, there's no miracles here. That This is gonna be just like building a plant or building a distribution network. It's not like I'm gonna come in and, and wave a magic wand, it's all gonna get better. And the second thing about the expectation is I want to I want to understand the product and the service delivery and the competitive positioning financially and also both from a from a competitive standpoint. Do we really have an advantage here or not? Because a lot of companies do not have an advantage, but they believe they do. Right. And so my whole thing is we're going to talk consumer and financials. We're not going to talk. We're not going to talk marketing. This, this The second thing that I really think is is super important is decision rights. Given that litany of uh, parade of horribles that you put out on how CFOs and CEOs think about it, you really want decision rights or they're going to give you the decisions they want to make and then they're going to hold you accountable for it, which will almost always be wrong. Right. And right. they will be inconsistent and then you will be living with someone else's decisions and being held accountable for them. I will always negotiate decision rights in advance, which will be 
look, I'm going to be the final approver of the advertising and the media. I'm going to be the, you know, we're going to we're going to do this this way. Um, and and if I don't get those decision rights, I, I think that is super tough. But the other thing about decision rights, you have to defend them the whole time you're in. Right. Because right. everyone does think they can do marketing and they want to do marketing and it's fun and they only see the finished product. They don't see the work. So you have to you have to hang out on your decision rights or everyone will vote on your stuff. And hey, Mike, when they uh, vote, democracy is an awful thing for marketing. So, Mike, share, if you don't mind, share that one story. It was when you were at Best Buy. I love this one where you were getting a lot of suggestions on marketing <laughs> and your interaction with uh, I forget exactly who it was. It was, uh, it the, was the head merchant. Look, when I got there, I'm defending my decision rights. And yeah, the merchant comes in and says, you know, the Grammys were on last night and we weren't on. And at the time we sold like 40 percent of the music in right. the country. And I really want to understand our media plan. And I said, OK, I'll bring the whole media team in for you. We'll have a chat on one condition. And he said, what's that? And I already know also a competitor had already bought out the Grammys and you know, we didn't even have a chance at it. And uh, he said, what's the condition? I said, you know, I know there's a couple hundred television SKUs and we only have like 50. How did you pick all those? I would really like to understand our assortment strategy so I can better understand our entire merchandising strategy. And he said, I think I know where you're going with this. And I said, I'm really glad. And, um, and then we agreed, we will respect each other's decision rights and became super good friends, and he's still uh, my good friend today. But but I think if you let everybody in to see your strategy and then vote on your strategy, like I say, democracy is horrible for marketing. I totally agree. And um, one thing that you've emphasized in many conversations is if you're not consistent in defending those, all it takes is one crack in the dam, and all of a sudden, you know, you're done. Once you let voters in, they don't leave. They always right. want to vote. <laughs> and you know, and if you've established that right, you you can't yeah. you can't kick voters out once they're in the room. And yeah. so yeah. you know, like I say, I'm a fan of democracy, but not for marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so Kip, now you're in the job though. You're the CMO. You're in the job, and you got to manage the CFO and the CEO. Or sometimes you get a new CEO or new CFO. Right. What do you do? Like, how do you make sure this relationship stays solid and strong? Um, give people some tips on, on what you would recommend they do. Yeah, there are, there are a number of practical tips I, I give the people that we coach. Uh, let's, we like the number three, so let me give three of them. First, I would really go to school on understanding as much as you can about the players that you're going to be working with. I would get to know the board members. I'd get to know the CEO and the CFO, especially, and HR is also a, a critical one. And when I say get to know, I'm not just talking about you've read their LinkedIn profile. I would really study, you know, how did they get to where they are and what makes them tick? You know, what are their, you know, turn-ons and turn-offs? Um, to the extent you can talk to other people that have worked with these same folks before in terms of the style they prefer and all that, that would be homework well worth doing because you, you don't want to learn that through trial and error. It'd be great if you could have a little bit of an owner's manual before you, or a user's manual before you went in there and started interacting with these folks. Because I've worked with a number of CEOs over the years, and boy, are they different. Uh, they're all over the map in terms of what they want, what they expect, what what really uh, ticks them off, and what makes them happy. So, number one, do your homework. Number two, school is never over. Uh, you've got to continue to stay in touch with these what I'll call circle of influence players. Circle of influence is a very simple concept. 
who are the people that can vote you off the island? You yeah. know, if, if you tick off, you know, it doesn't necessarily even have to be the CEO. If you tick off your CFO, you know, don't be surprised if the CFO is going in there and, and you know, one on one with the CEO going, you know what? I just I'm not sure Mike's the guy. And before you know it, HR calls up and says, you know, how long have you worked here and don't count today? You're <laughs> yeah. you're gone. So maintaining that relationship and really taking the time to to listen and understand what they're looking for, because this is not a two-way street either. You know, you said it's not a democracy. Well, it's also not fair. Uh, you know, you might have all kinds of things that you want to get done, and, and that's all fine and well, but that's only going to work if they're consistent with what your CEO is looking for deliverables. Um, so invest in learning about the players and then invest in the actual relationship. And the third thing that I would really urge everybody to do is evangelize the role of marketing in the company. And, and by that, I mean, don't just limit yourself to talking to marketers. Uh, I have CEOs tell me this all the time. I wish my CMO would get out there and, and really talk to the rest of the company. So take the opportunity to go, you know, if it's a bigger company and they have, you know, team meetings where it's finance or operations or engineering or development or whatever, you know, see if you can set up an opportunity to go to that group and talk about how important it is for everybody to understand the brand, understand the competition, understand what they're doing on marketing, and do it in a in a humble way. I mean, don't go in there and say, oh, are we great. Let me tell you how great we are. And, and you know, you're not going to be invited back. But if you go in there and you help people understand the role of marketing, uh, and and buddy of mine, Greg Creed's got this great, you know, thought. The the role, the, the challenge of any CMO today is to build sales overnight and to brand over time. Yeah. So as you evangelize to these different groups, you got to educate them. You got to you got to tell them why, you know, brand is important. You got to tell them why consistency is important for the long term. And, and you got to show them how all the things that marketing is doing is contributing to the overall health of the company, not just going out and trying to win some creative award or, or make the marketers feel they're clever, but it's actually helping grow the business and, and be more competitive against what I'm sure is a very very tough category, whichever one you're in. So, you know, those are some practical tips I would offer up. And, and Kip, you've also done the GM role, which I think probably makes you a much better marketer because you can translate a lot of stuff. Do you want to say anything about that? Well, absolutely. Remember one of the uh, indictments against CMOs was they speak yeah. uh, the language of marketing, not the language of business. Um, as you think about your career, if you're a marketer, uh, if there is any opportunity in the world for you to step out of the marketing silo and get into the main current, that is general management, where you've got a P&L and you've got responsibilities that encompass more than just marketing, for God's sake, do it um, because of, of a couple of things. First of all, it's going to force you to learn how to speak the language of business. And second, it, it's going to give you uh, what I call 360 vision so that when you step back into a marketing role later on in your career, you're going to have a whole different perspective on the role of marketing. You're going to see how the whole picture works as opposed to this very narrow silo called marketing. So especially for the younger marketing marketers out there, you know, get into a GM role for at least a couple of years to, to build up your overall business savvy. And, and then if you want to get back into the marketing flow, then absolutely, you'll be a better person because of it. I, I think there's another thing that is we're talking about here, maybe Kip, which is different industries see marketing differently and then companies within industries see marketing differently yeah and one of the things that will almost always think you as a marketer is if you think you are the you know 
hub of the wheel unless you're at a pure consumer goods company. Even then, it's super dangerous. So do, do you want to say anything about that? In terms of how to position marketing role for the yeah, rest of the company? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, and how to, how, yeah. How, how to look at these, you know, how, how do you make marketing work in some companies where marketing is obviously a lesser function or less less important to the company? Well, again, I think it goes back to education. So let me give you a couple of ways that I, I try to talk about that with folks, which typically gets a pretty good response because it, it, it comes from, uh, I, I hope, a sense of humility and not, boy, is marketing great. The first is, and, and we learned this at Proctor, you know, the role of marketing is to listen and respond to the voice of the customer. And what does that mean? Uh, that means that if you've got your senior leaders seated around a table, and there is not a designated person that is representing the voice of the customer, then you are doomed. Uh, you might not be doomed, doomed in the short term, but long term, you're doomed because you're going to lose touch with what people, uh, what your clients, what your customers are really looking for. And so if you can position that in a way of, you're, <laughs> well, I, I'd hate to compare us to politicians because that's the only group even less <laughs> less, less regarded than, uh, than marketers, perhaps. But you've got to let the rest of the company know that you're the conduit to try to take all of that data, all of that information, and somehow filter it and figure it out and, and, and make the world make sense as far as, okay, gang, this is what's happening and this is what we need to do next. And here's why, because if, if people understand the why of what you're asking them to do, they're a lot more motivated than simply going out and saying, well, okay, everybody, we need to go do A, B, and C, but you have no idea of the rationale or the importance of doing that. So we're a filter, we're a conduit, we're a representative, but, but again, the mantra is the role of marketing is to listen, respond to the voice of the customer, and that is our sacred duty to do that, regardless of the category and regardless of whether or not you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. I, I, I think this is a super important point, which is the, um, the marketer is at the front of the company, meaning the consumer and the technology and the consumer connecting in terms of where they get the message. And that kind of learning, if the marketer doesn't do that holistically for the company and they're not doing it, I, I was actually trying to change all the uh, nomenclature into consumer money versus marketing money because I wanted to go where it does the best good for the consumer and the marketer. So Kip, before we, we get to sign off here, anything we haven't talked about, practical advice you give our listeners going forward from your seat as the bearer of bad survey news to the CMO? Well, I think that I've been very uh, fortunate and, and Mike, so have you to have had a, a really, um, I'm gonna say fun career in marketing yeah, for the most fun. part. I mean, I, I've, I've split my time about half between general management and marketing, but I, I love marketing. Marketing's always gonna be my go-to. and. This will be a plug for the book I wrote, Learn to Leap. Uh, again, for your younger listeners, the, the one thing I would encourage folks to do is, you know, like Robert Frost says, if you come to a, a road divided, take the less traveled path. I've worked in seven different categories in si 60 different countries around the world. I know that you've worked in a wide variety of categories. Um, I would I would encourage your, your younger listeners, especially to, if you get a chance to do something that maybe is a little bit risky. Uh, you know, my rule of thumb is, is as long as I thought I had at least a 70% shot of a success, I went for it. Um, and 
my philosophy is there, there's really no downside because even if it's a total disaster, and you and I have had several of those, the exactly. learnings from that are going to be of enormous value later down the road. And maybe you get lucky and, you know, it's a huge hit and it's the best thing you'll ever do. But either way, you'll be much better off than if you took the safe, conservative, you know, there's no, you know, nothing to see here around. Uh, because life is short and careers are even shorter. And when you look back, you know, and Mike, I'll go ahead. And, we started 1980, everybody. 1980. I'm not listening to you, Kip. <laughs> <laughs> not listening, years not ago, listening to Kip. Kip oh I'm my God, we're I'm going to punch you. Um, <laughs> all right, well, we are out of time, sadly. Uh, and thank you for the advice. I do think that is super advice, which is, you know, you got to getting broader as a marketer is super helpful. Yeah. Um, and if you stay in one function for really long, you may get great at that function, but you're never going to be a really good CMO. And yeah. and I think that is is super uh, super helpful advice. So thank you, Kip, and thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. We have other shows, including what your agency wants to tell you but won't, what it's like in the B two B startup world. How is private equity different from public companies, and is the obsession with measurement destroying the marketing function? So tune in for more. And hey, all you marketers out there, stay safe. This is Mike Linton of CMO Confidential signing off, and thank you, Kip. Thanks, Mike. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.